it came as somewhat a surprise that Dottie asked me, really, because I'm actually a relatively new Christian. I've only um, sort of been a Christian about three years. Prior to that, I'd spent much of my life denouncing God, hating him, and, and, and sort of really doubting his existence, really. But I'm here to tell you why and how that changed and how God came to be the most important thing in my life. To date, I've never actually shared my complete story with anyone, as Dottie said. So this is uh, the first time, and it's a bit daunting, you know, especially in front of a garden full of strangers. But, um, but Dot has played an important part in my journey to God, and I felt it was the least I could do to repay her kindness, really, to, to tell my story, um, as well as the kindness that God has shown me. So as this is the first time, I hope you'll forgive me for actually reading it from a page, but I feel it's important that I don't miss anything out, because um, you know, it's really important that I tell the whole story, really. And I hope you find my, my story interesting and stimulating. So as a child, I grew up in a household where God was rarely mentioned. My dad was a successful businessman running a multi-million pound jewellery business, whilst my mother was a lady of leisure. She still is, really. But we lived, <laughs> we lived in the lap of luxury in a 10-bedroom Tudor farmhouse. My older sister and I were privately educated, and we spent weekends and holidays on my dad's yachts and, or jetting off to the States. My mum occasionally took us to the local church, and as a brownie, I promised that I would do my best, uh, to, you know, do my duty to God, but uh, I never really understood what that really meant. Our family lived in a, an idyllic life with everything we could have ever wanted, so why did we need God? However, that all changed at Christmas 1982, when I was nine years old. Unbeknownst to me, my dad's business was struggling. However, rather than just go bust like hundreds of people do every year, my dad decided to do a runner to Spain with three and a half million pounds in cash and jewellery from the business, plus our life savings, leaving me, my mum and my sister, penniless, homeless and destitute. The first we knew of my dad's crime was when we returned from a holiday visiting family in New York and we were met by police from Scotland Yard, informing us that my dad had gone missing, along with the cash, and wanting to know where, if we knew where he was. Of course, we knew nothing about this at all and were in a state of shock. Overnight, my dad had gone from being an ordinary family man to one of the most wanted men in Britain. His face adorned the front page of every newspaper, and he was the lead story on TV news bulletins. To me, as a nine-year-old kid, I really didn't understand any of this at all. All I knew was that my dad, who I loved and adored, wasn't there anymore, and I didn't know why. Of course, as kids do, I blamed myself. I thought it was my fault he had gone, wondering whether I'd done something wrong or whether I'd be just been too naughty for him to stay. I thought maybe if it had been better, if it had been good enough, he might have stayed. I remember turning to our home and sitting in our den, listening to the Kids From Fame tape over and over again and crying my eyes out, not understanding why he'd gone and blaming myself. I missed him so much and didn't know what I could do to bring him back. After that, nothing was ever the same again. Our whole world was turned upside down. There were reporters camped outside our house for days, trying to catch the exclusive story with the family of the biggest criminal since Ronnie Biggs. I remember we had to go in hide into hiding for a while just to get away from them and from all the people in the town who could do nothing but talk about us. I remember one time we were, oops, we were in the supermarket and people were pointing and staring to the extent that Mum ran out of the store in tears, dragging us with her. We also lost many of our friends. My sister and I were taken out of our exclusive private school and we had to start again in a local state primary where we didn't know anyone. All of our old friends shunned us because our dad was now a criminal. One of the worst things was having to move out of our family home as we could now no longer afford the mortgage repayments. We were essentially homeless, but it was only later that I found out that God stepped in and saved us from complete destitution, the first of many times he would do so in my life. 
when we were evicted, the local church, which my mum had made us go to, like bef before my dad had gone, actually found a house for us. Of course, I was completely ungrateful. It was tiny. You could have fitted it into our old house five times over, and it was in sort of the roughest, dodgiest part of town. But worst of all, it wasn't home, and Dad wasn't there. I hated it, but it was only much later that I came to appreciate what the alternative might have been had the church not been there for us in an hour of need. Moreover, they also helped, helped to get me and my sister into the best state school in the area, even though we were in the catchment area for the worse. One of the hardest things to deal with at the time was the change in mum. She had no idea my dad was going to leave and was left distraught, so much so that she couldn't really look after us and we were sent to stay with some family friends for a while. It was probably only for a few days, but when you're nine, being away from your mum for any length of time feels like forever. So not only had I lost my dad, but I lost my mum for a while too. Looking back now, I can see how things got really tough for mum. She was under suspicion by the police who thought she was involved in what my dad had done. But she was also under threat from the people my dad had stolen from. I remember one man turned up at our house and punched her in the face, breaking her nose and jaw in the process. Another man threatened to kneecap her unless she paid back the money that dad owed. Inevitably, it all got too much for my mum, and I know she won't mind me saying this because she's shared her story before. She went down to six stone in weight, and one day she actually took an overdose of tab tablets in an attempt to kill herself. <sighs> Sorry. Luckily, God stepped in again as a local vicar made an unexpected house call, found mum, and called an ambulance. Thankfully, this was the wake-up call she needed, and things gradually began to get better for her after that. Mum got a job cleaning and began to fend for herself and for us. However, when out cleaning, she often left us in the care of a family friend who had become somewhat of a surrogate grand granddad figure for us after my father had left. Unfortunately, though, with my mum out of the house so often, he took advantage of my vulnerability and began abusing me. <laughs> um, the abuse started when I was about 10 years old and went on for at least a year. At the time, I was so young that I didn't really understand what was happening. All I knew was that it wasn't right and that he shouldn't be doing it. Of course, looking back now, I know I should have told someone what was happening, but like all abused people, I felt it was my fault and I would get into trouble if I told. Also, I wanted to protect my mum. I felt she'd, she'd been through so much already and I didn't want to upset her even more in case she tried to kill herself again. So I kept quiet and coped by blocking out the abuse and burying it deep inside me, not telling a soul. This strategy was so effective that for many years I didn't even admit to myself what had happened, but it did have a profound effect on me. Overnight, I changed from a happy-go-lucky, mischievous little girl to an angry, rebellious teenager. I started getting into trouble at school, constantly getting into fights with other kids. I became known as the hardest girl in school, which is actually quite a feat when you're only five foot one. And I put up a wall between myself and other people so that no one could touch me or hurt me again. As my teen years progressed, my behaviour got worse and worse. I started smoking and drinking and playing truant from school. Whilst at weekends I went into town and actually shoplifted quite a few times, which is something, again, I'm not proud of. I also began to self-harm, regularly punching walls and cutting my arms with a compass or knife. This was the only way I could cope with the pain and the anger and the hurt that was consuming me. Acting out was my way of demonstrating how much pain I was in, but couldn't verbalise because I was just too ashamed. Inside, I was screaming, desperate for someone to notice and rescue me from my torment, but unable to admit to myself or anyone else what had happened. I just remember feeling so angry at everyone and everything, but most of all at God for letting this happen to me. I hated him, and I hated myself. 
I denounced God and at times just didn't even believe he existed. But how could a loving, benevolent God let this happen to one of his children? In my late teens, my father finally came back from Spain to face the music and he was sentenced to a couple of years in prison. Whilst my sister renewed new to a relationship with him and even went to visit him in prison, I wanted nothing to do with him. I was so angry at him for leaving and blamed him for everything that had gone wrong since. I simply could not forgive him for choosing money and possessions over his own family. I was full of hatred for him and did not speak to him for several years, despite his attempts to contact me. Despite all this and despite my misbehaviour during my teen years, I actually managed to scrape together enough grades to get to university. I put this down to the presence of a teacher at my secondary school who helped, me, who helped get me back on the straight and narrow for a while. Looking back now, I actually think he was sent from God as a sort of guardian angel to, to watch over me. And amazingly, after all these years, we're actually still in touch to this day and he still continues to watch over me. After three heady years at university and finally graduating with a 2-1, I went travelling around the world, visiting North America, Australasia and Asia. Whilst travelling, I worked out that I wanted to pursue a career in television. Again, it seemed God was on my side because within a month of me returning, I managed to get a job as a production assistant for a local TV production company. Over the course of the next nine years, I worked my way up to series producer, working in London and Manchester for the BBC, ITV and Channel 4 on shows such as Richard and Judy, Graham Norton, Paul O'Grady, Top of the Pops and Lazy with Jewels, just to name some of the programmes I mentioned on. It was a fantastic lifestyle with many a showbiz party or premiere to attend. I met everyone there was to meet, from Russell Crowe to David Beckham, Britney Spears to Tina Turner. Perhaps the highlight of my career, though, was being able to introduce my mum to her childhood heroes, Cliff Richard and Paul McCartney. <laughs> it was so fantastic to finally be able to repay her for standing by me through all the years of misery I'd put her through. However, whilst to an outsider it looked like I had it all with my glamorous job, warehouse apartment and a string of handsome boyfriends, on the inside I was still in turmoil. Don't get me wrong, there were many periods when I was actually doing okay, and I actually almost felt normal. But then out of the blue, something would happen. It could be something tiny, like a friend forgetting to call me or something, and I would slump into a deep depression that could last for weeks. This is a pattern that recurred again and again throughout my 20s and my early 30s. When the depression hit, I would cut myself off from everyone. I would skive off work, stay at home, take the phone off the hook and drown my sorrows in drink or food. Birthdays and Christmas, were always a particularly bad time for me, and I was renowned for ruining many a family occasion with my moods. It seemed selfish to me now, but at the time I felt that I didn't deserve to be happy or enjoy myself. How could I when I had this dark secret haunting me that I wouldn't even admit to myself? Eventually I would always snap out of these depressive moods, and I'd get back to normal for a while, but it wouldn't be long before the depression began again. Okay. Indeed, it seemed that my childhood experiences had affected every aspect of my life, especially my relationships with men. As I went through my 20s, I was incapable of holding down a relationship and rebounded from one disastrous liaison to the next, none of them lasting longer than a few months. I was so desperate to be loved in a way I felt I'd never been loved, but I had so little self-worth that the only way that I thought I could obtain someone's love was through sex. I'm ashamed to admit it, but I often jumped into bed with men very quickly, Naive thinking, naively thinking that if I had sex with them, this would mean that they loved me. After all, this is what I'd grown up learning from my abuser. However, once I found myself in a relationship with someone, I would push them away, certain that they were going to leave me like my dad did, or hurt me like my abuser did. I hated myself, so how could I believe that someone else could love me? Surely I wasn't capable of being loved. 
Eventually, boyfriends would get sick of me constantly testing them and my dark moods and anger that they would leave, which further confirmed to me how unlovable I was. I ended up heartbroken more times than I cared to remember. As the years progressed, I started drinking more and more to block the pain out, which was easy to do with my champagne lifestyle. I remember once being so paralytic that I literally couldn't make it from the taxi to the front door and woke up lying face down on the pavement in the early hours of the morning. Working in TV, drugs were rife, and it was only a matter of time before I was offered cocaine. I started taking it from time to time, recognising that it was the only way I could feel good about myself, when inside I hated everything that I was. Looking back, I can see that I so easily could have ended up, I could have become a drug addict. But after one 48-hour binge, I ended up in hospital, having collapsed, and I thank God that, I was, that that was enough to bring me to my senses. I didn't take any more drugs after that, although I carried on drinking to excess. After a few years, the drinking and partying took its toll, and I realised it was doing nothing to fill the yawning emptiness inside me. In fact, it was only making it worse. I began to hate the superficial life of television and all that it stood for. As I hit 30, I began searching for something more meaningful in my life that could fill this chasm. At this point, I still hated God and blamed him for everything that happened to me. I would get into regular arguments with my mom, who was now a fully-fledged Christian, who had tried to get me to go to church. But I still wanted nothing to do with God. The rational side of me argued that organised religion was the cause of all the world, wars in the world, and that church was an institution built on gaining money and power. But I knew something was missing for my life, so I went searching elsewhere. I tried a few things, like meditation and yoga and a bit of Buddhism, and I even threw myself into exercise in an attempt to purge the hurt from me. They all provided some solace for a while, but I soon realised they couldn't take away the aching pain, shame or self-loathing that I felt inside. Around this time, I became involved with a man who was quite spiritual and very much into yoga. We were quite happy for a while, but then inevitably things started to go wrong, as my relationships always did. Unfortunately, I discovered I was pregnant at around the same time as I realised I did not want to be with him anymore. The pregnancy was a complete shock, and I was in absolute bits about it. I had always, always wanted children, but deep down inside, I was absolutely petrified about having them. On the surface, I rationalised that I didn't want to be with this man. I was a freelancer with no job security, and I was a complete mess who couldn't look after myself, let alone anyone else. But I knew that the real issue went much deeper than that. Like everyone else, I had heard the sensational media stories about people who were abused going on to abuse others. And although I had absolutely no, idea, no desire to do this, the very fact that there was the smallest chance that this could happen absolutely petrified me. There was no way I wanted to take that chance. After many weeks of crying, deliberation and soul-searching, I'm ashamed to admit that I terminated my pregnancy. I want you to know that I did not take this decision lightly, and it was probably the hardest decision I've ever made. Deep down, I knew what I was doing was wrong, but I could not bring myself to go through with it and risk inflicting the pain and hurt I had experienced onto my child. It's something in my life which I'm really not proud of, and I really very nearly decided not to tell you today. In fact, I was, not I was advised not to by my family, as abortion is such a contentious issue, especially in the church. But as I was writing this, it kept coming back to me over and over again, as if God was prompting me to include it. And after all, God is truth, so I decided to, to, to include it. It really is integral to my story and what happened next, so I really couldn't admit it. Uh, omit it sorry. As it turned out, the termination was to be my undoing. Immediately following the operation, I started having flashbacks and nightmares from the abuse that I suffered all those years ago. I had successfully blocked it out for 20 years, 
but now it was coming back to haunt me, transporting me back in my mind to the times and places it had, it had happened. I began to picture my abuser on top of me and was so terrified I could not breathe. This terror led to me having frequent panic attacks where I honestly thought I was going to die. In addition, the, de the depression that I had suffered on and off for several years returned with a vengeance. My mood spiralled down and down until it got so bad that I became suicidal and suffered a complete breakdown on my 32nd birthday. Again, God stepped in and blessed me with an amazing boyfriend and mother who both stood by me throughout everything. I was forced to leave my job in telly because I just couldn't function anymore. And mum let me move back home so I could get help. I was an absolute mess, incapable of looking after myself or getting through the day or, an hour, or even an hour without crying. Even the simplest tasks, such as getting dressed or driving, seemed impossible to me. The flashbacks, nightmares and panic attacks continued, and I felt like I was totally falling apart. Mum took me to see her GP, who arranged for me to see a counsellor from a charity that worked with people who'd been abused. Telling my story to the counsellor was one of the hardest and most painful things I've ever done, but this was the first step on the road to my road to recovery, and I'm indebted to the counsellor who helped me work through my pain. To find out that I was not alone, and that the feelings I was experiencing as a result of my abuse were normal, helped to liberate me from the shame I had carried for 20 years. I started to realise for the first time that it was not my fault, and that the man who had abused me had taken advantage of my young age and vulnerability. When you abuse, your abuser takes away your power and your control and leaves you weak and defenceless. And this is exactly how I'd felt for years, out of control. Gradually, over a six-month period, with, with the help of my counsellor, I began to claw back some of this power and control, and the abuser's power over me started to wane. So much so that I finally felt able to confront him for the first time in 20 years. I admit to being petrified at seeing my abuser again for so after so long, but it was something I felt I needed to do. By now, he was a very old man, and of course, he denied everything. But in that moment, I took back the power that he'd taken from me, and I was able to get on with my life again. I feel it significant that the day after I confronted him, I came down with the worst flu I've ever experienced in my life. I was literally bedridden for 10 days, with my body shaking and aching beyond belief. It was like my body was purging itself of all the pain and hurt that had been inside for so long. The experience I'd been through with the counselling changed my focus in life. I'd already left TV because of my breakdown and began searching for something more meaningful. The experience I'd been through with the counselling changed my focus in life. I'd already left TV because of my breakdown and began searching for something more meaningful. To me, the path now seemed clear. I wanted to help people in a way that I'd been helped with the counselling. A lot of pe people poo-pooed the idea and said I would never finish it, especially as the training would take seven long years, but I was adamant that this was what I wanted to do. So I went back to university at the age of 32 to study psychology. It was one of the best decisions I'd ever made. I graduated top of my year with a first-class degree winning the uni University Prize for Best Dissertation. <laughs> thank you, thank you. I then obtained a job as an assistant psychologist in the NHS b before being offered a place on an elite NHS clinical psychologist training course, beating 400 other applicants to the post. I'm currently in my final year of training with just six months to go until I'm fully a fully qualified clinical psychologist. I'm on placement in a child traumatic bereavement service, providing psychological therapy to children who've been traumatically bereaved. And I can honestly say, I love what I do. I finally found my calling in life, and in this I can see God's hand. It may not have felt like it when I was going through all the hurt and pain of my childhood, 
but I now believe that this was God's plan for me all along. Maybe if I hadn't been through everything I had, then I wouldn't be able to do the job I now do. I truly believe that my experiences have made me a more compassionate, empathic person because I can equate to the hurt that others are experiencing. It makes all the pain and heartache worthwhile to know that it can be put to good use, helping others. God is good like that. But the story doesn't end there. Despite the counselling, I still continue to have occasional periods of depression, although they, these actually were a bit more isolated than previously. Then approximately three years ago, I hit the wall again. Whilst I'd been at uni, I'd fallen deeply in love with a man and become very involved in a very intense relationship with him, which lasted for four years on and off. After several attempts to make it work, the relationship broke down. This coincided with me falling out with my best friend of 20 years, and both these factors combined were enough to tip me over the edge again. I became suicidal yet again. Unbeknownst to me, however, my mother, stepfather, and members of the Chipping Camden Baptist Church began praying for me, staying up all night on the night that I reached crisis point, praying for God's intervention. Apparently, they'd been praying for me for quite a while, as they could see that things were beginning to deteriorate again. Amazingly, God answered their prayers. The very next day, my good friend Nicole rang me and could tell how distraught I was. She said to me, look, Jen, why don't you just come to church with me tomorrow? She was a Christian and a member of the Vineyard Church in St Albans, where I lived, a relatively new church with a very modern ethos. She'd been badgering me to go to church with her for months, but I'd resisted. But by now, I was so at the end of my tether, I was willing to try anything, so I agreed. So the next day, I stepped inside the church for the first time for years, barring weddings and funerals, of course. And the amazing thing was, it felt like I, it felt like I'd come home. It sounds like such a cliche now, but it really was true. There was such a feeling of acceptance and love present in the room, which I now recognise as God's presence, that I burst into tears, completely overcome. I will never forget the sermon that day, which seemed like it was addressed entirely to me. The pastor told the story of Jesus and the prostitute, who washed his feet with her tears, and how Jesus forgave her for her sins and all that she had done. This story resonated with me and the deep shame that I felt for, for the abuse and for the bad things that I'd done over the years. I'd spent my life trying to fit in and finally had found somewhere where I belonged, where I was loved and accepted despite what I'd done. This was what I'd been searching for all of my life, and I'd finally found it. I know it sounds like it's too good, be too good to be true, but this was the start of a journey that would transform my life. From that day, I started going to church regularly. Every time I entered the building, I felt that same sense of belonging and love I had felt the first time, and I just couldn't get enough of it. I was overwhelmed by the Holy Spirit and would often spend each service in tears. But these were tears of love and forgiveness rather than pain and hatred. For people who have never experienced the wonder of the Holy Spirit, it's like the most intense, sweet feeling of God's love raining down on you. I mean, seriously, drugs have got nothing on this at all. As I received the Holy Spirit more and more, I began to realise for the first time that God truly did love me, despite everything that had happened, and that actually changed something deep inside me. For the first time ever, my self-hatred began to abate, and I began to love myself. I asked for, for God's forgiveness for all the bad I'd done, and he answered my prayers ten times over. Time does not allow for me to account all the instances he answered my prayers, but I can share the most significant with you now. During one session, I received an image of me having my termination, which instantly brought me to my knees. But in the next moment, I received another image that of Jesus carrying my baby, the baby I had aborted. In that moment, 
I knew that God had forgiven me for my sin. In the vision, Jesus came up to me, looked deep into my eyes with his eyes full of sorrow. And I knew he was asking me to forgive myself. As the tears streamed down my face, I realized that I'd been grieving the loss of this child for the last few years. But all along he was safe because Jesus had been carrying him. As I continued crying, the baby transformed into the age the boy would have been at that time. And I could see him running around having fun and playing with Jesus. I was filled with love and the wounds began to be healed. I still know that what I did wasn't right. And if I had to make that decision again now, I would change it. But I know that God has forgiven me for this wrong and I have forgiven myself. I am now left with the residing image of my boy playing at Jesus' feet. Not only has God's love helped me to forgive myself, but it has also helped me to forgive others. Although painful, I re revisited the abuse with the spiritual ministry team. Despite the counselling I had received previously, I was still holding on to my hatred for the abuser. However, as I came to know God, I realised that there can only be one judge, and I lay my abuser down at the cross, forgiving him for his wrong. As I did so, I realised I was also still angry at God, who I felt had abandoned me in my hour of need. However, God blessed me with another image, which took me right back to the moment of abuse, and I saw Jesus holding my hand. Rather than abandoning me, he'd been there with me every moment, helping me through it. With that, I was released from the pain and hatred I'd been carrying, and I saw myself as a young girl running through the fields without a care in the world. In that moment, it was like God was restoring my lost childhood. All my hatred disappeared, and I felt only love. In the same way, I forgive my father for leaving all those years ago. God gave me a vision of him at the time, and I saw a scared, petrified man who thought what he was doing was right, and he never meant to hurt anyone. With God's help, I was able to forgive dad, and we now have a great relationship, relationship which has gone from strength to strength. Over time, I've come to realise that Jesus is my protector and my comforter, my friend and my saviour. He has been with me every step of the way, even though I didn't realise it. And he's forgiven me for everything. It's a cliche, but he really has saved me. But not only was God changing me on the inside, but he was changing me on the outside too. And boy, was he quick. Within a week of me going to Vineyard, I met Mark, who was also a Christian and attended the church. Within six weeks, we were dating and we fell head over heels in love. He really was everything I'd ever wanted in a man. Mark proposed to me after four and a half months together and we were married nine months after meeting. Mark's a wonderful, kind, funny, generous, understanding and handsome man and I'm so blessed to have him in my life. He knows my story from I told him quite early on and he accepted me without question. He's so good for me and I thank God every day for bringing him into my life. I mean, Mark and I, we do strive to keep God at the centre of our marriage. But despite this, we have had our difficulties over the last three years, especially during the first year of marriage when, you know, you're still getting used to each other's little ways. This time last year, I admitted to God that I was being tempted by a man I'd met through work. And I asked God to show me the way forward. Instantly, God brought to mind an image of Mark, and I was reminded of how much I loved him. As the image panned out, I saw that Mark was holding the hand of a small child. As I looked down, the child ran towards me and shouted, Mommy. The three of us joined hands, and as the tears streamed down my face in happiness, I knew that this was what God wanted for me and what I really wanted in my heart. The image panned out even more, and I saw Jesus standing in the trees a few yards away, watching over us, with tears of joy rolling down his face. 
and I feel like he's still watching over us now. Within two weeks of me having this, this vision, Mark and I had conceived a child, and we've since had the happiest year ever. Amazingly, I gave birth to my daughter, Neve Maria, eight weeks ago. She brings me so much joy and happiness, although not very much sleep, <laughs> and I truly believe she's a gift from God. Here she comes. <laughs> so this story has a happy ending. Some bad things have happened to me life to have, have happened to me in my life, and I too have done some bad things of which I'm not proud. Yet when I look back now, I can see that it was all in God's plan for me. If none of these things had happened, I wouldn't be where I am today, a psychologist helping others, a mother and a wife. Moreover, I may never have come to know God which who is now the most single, most important thing in my life. Don't get me wrong, I still have days when I get a bit down, but God is now integral and central in my life and in my marriage. And with him by my side, I know I can get through anything. Thank you for listening.